This presentation was recorded at the 2017 Christian School Administration Institute held in Zurich, Ontario. For more information about the Institute, contact Philip Horst at philip.horst.79 at gmail.com. That's p-h-i-l-i-p dot h-o-r-s-t dot 79 at gmail.com. We also extend a greeting this evening in the name of our resurrected Savior. Indeed, it has been good to be here today. It's been a blessing to see the interest of, of the school. The message this evening is entitled, Cultivating Hearts of Service for Business and Missions. We will not be spending so much time in the, in the business and mission part we would like to spend more time this evening in the cultivating the heart. I've appreciated the, the practical teaching and in the practical areas and the structural areas of the school. But you know, brethren and sisters, tonight we, this message is more directed toward a part of the school that we maybe don't think about quite as much, and that is the hearts of our children. There are a few babies here this evening, and we all know the feeling of holding a newborn child into our arms and gazing into their face. And we see there the innocence and the, the perfection of an almighty God as he tenderly formed that child within the womb. But you know, encased in the body of that child is a heart. And God is looking for that heart. God wants that heart. God desires that heart. And I think this evening about the, the way this this um, title was, was given, Cultivating Hearts. Very interesting thought, cultivating the heart. You know, we understand the basics of cultivation, where there's a, a breaking of soil to, to promote growth and seed germination and, and such. You know, we're all used to tilling our gardens and in our, in our fields and other areas of, of soil. And it's all done to, to, to make a good seed bed. It's also to suppress weed population. And, and the reasons in the list could go on. And you know, as we till that soil, we're all used to, to living on 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 land that you know the your land on one parcel of your the the type of soil in the one part of your land is different than than it may be in another another part of your land and this can all be within the same field you know and with that it, it takes a carefulness in how that that soil is tilled and how it's handled 
you know, uh, we have a basic understanding of, of the compositions of soil. There is the, um, the mineral and the organic matter, the water, the air, you know, the different compositions of soil. And you know, as we have a, uh, have a basic understanding of those compositions, it helps us to, to know how to work with the soil and what needs to be done with the soil so that there is a good, um, a good crop that comes forth, a good fruit. Tonight, we are directing our thoughts towards cultivating the hearts of our children. Children's hearts, brethren and sisters, tonight need to be cultivated. And in order for that good success of that cultivation, I believe we also need to have a bit of an understanding what our children's hearts consist of, what they're made up of, what the composition is of a heart, heart of a child. But before we do that, I invite your attention to John, the Gospel of John, the third chapter. <clears throat> Before we consider the, the composition of a heart, I'd just like to address the question, why, why do hearts, why do our children's hearts need to be cultivated? In this account, in the Gospel of John, we don't want to spend much time here, but I invite your attention to the third verse of John chapter 3, where Jesus answered Nicodemus. He answered the question of Nicodemus. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And down in verse 5, he said, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Brethren and sisters, tonight, as I looked at this passage, I had to wonder, why did Jesus put it in this order? Why did he tell Nicodemus first, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God? Well, I believe, brothers and sisters, tonight that this is actually pointing us into the direction of why our children's hearts need to be cultivated. Jesus said that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot. And brethren and sisters, tonight that's reality for our children as well. Their hearts are darkened. There are kingdom truths that he, they cannot pick up. They can't grasp them. There's a veil over their eyes. Their hearts need to be cultivated. That soil needs to be stirred so that the Spirit of God can, can penetrate and enter in 
This is, brethren and sisters, why we teach. This is why we cultivate the hearts of our children. In that cultivation, we are actually promoting a direction in which that heart should go. The heart is desperately wicked, the Bible says. You know, it doesn't take long in those sweet, innocent little face, that beautiful little smile that just catches our attention and draws our heart to that child. It's not long, and there's a manifestation of the depravity of that child's heart that, that exercises itself and is manifested. Let's now go to understanding what the heart is. I invite your attention to Luke, the second chapter. I know of no better New Testament character to look at this evening than, than here in Luke chapter 2. This is the account of Jesus as he was a little child. The Bible is very, has very limited insight, gives us very limited, limited insight into the, the, child, the, the child life of, of Jesus. But in this portion of scripture from verses uh, 39, and to the end of the chapter, maybe I will take the time to read that this evening, if you'll follow along. Luke chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they returned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that had heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I see here parents, a mother and a father. Although the father was not his earthly, he was his earthly father, but not the actual father of the child, I see a set of parents here who well understood the compositions of their child's heart. In this portion of scripture, we see 
three elements of a child's heart. One is his nature. That is, what we mean by that is simply that which comes natural for him. It's kind of first and forefront for them. It might even lean toward um, their gift or their, what they specialize or what they're good at. It's, it's natural. The second thing I see here is his will. And we understand that well as we work with our own, our own hearts and hearts of our children that they all have a will. They, they want their own way. It, it's my way. And thirdly, we see character. And character is simply the cultivation and the restraint of the nature and the will developing into character. I'd like to observe these in this order. Let's look at the nature of the child. We see the nature of Christ in verse 49. How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus spoke to his parents in, in, in answer to their challenge to him, and he said, why, why are you looking for me? Don't you understand that my natural, my natural direction is toward the business of God? That was natural for Jesus. That was his nature, to be about his father's business, to be involved in the things of his heavenly father. And I believe that, that, that uh, Joseph and Mary had maybe a, a bit of a grasp of this, but it was something that, that they needed to further cultivate in their, own, in their own experience as Christ, their child. And that was the, uh, to grow in that understanding of the nature of their son. Mary understood that this was a special child. He was the son, of, he is the son of God. God had specifically told her, or through the angel, that Mary, because of this child, Israel, salvation will be made available to Israel. And he said further, Mary, because of this child, there will be a sword that will pierce through your own soul. We all understand, at least if we have had multiple children in our families, that every child is different. Their natures are different. They're naturally, dif- they're naturally different. And some more obviously than others. But I like what this says here in verse 51. It says, Mary kept these sayings in her heart. The words of her dear son, Jesus. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? She rehearsed those words over and over and over in her mind. She understood that this was a special child. God had a special work for him. And I believe that Mary, as she observed that nature of her son Jesus and saw how that nature was 
focused toward God, the things of God, the business of God. She cultivated that nature. She cultivated that desire. She cultivated that, that interest, that zeal of his heart. And then we could go back into the second uh, Gospel of John. We won't turn there, but we know what happened at the wedding at Cana. That they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mother took that opportunity to, at that point, introduce him to his earthly ministry. At least it's a picture we get. Are you following? So we're, we're, Mary was observing the nature of that child, and she nourished that nature. And she, she, she nourished it day after day into his adult, adult life. And when the time was right, she directed him in the way that he should go. I believe, brethren and sisters, is a lesson here for us tonight. Some of those natural things that we, aspects, gifts that we see in our children, whether it's for teaching or for, let's focus on teaching. Sometimes we as parents need to nourish that natural instinct in our children. We need to feed it. We need to prompt that child, not force it, but prompt that child in the direction that he should go so that that gift, that natural instinct of God can flourish and be used as a blessing in the kingdom of God. Let's think a little bit about the will of Christ. I see that in verse 49 as well. You know the word, they're very the very um, words that Christ spoke, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business, also indicated that he had a will. He had that which he was, that he wanted to do. And you know, at this point, I believe that this child Jesus, he sensed a, call, a greater call in his life. And in the following verses, we see that the parents, Joseph and Mary, did not fully understand that greater call. But I'm blessed, brethren and sisters, tonight, in the beginning of verse 51, where it says, And he, he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Brethren and sisters, tonight, I don't believe that these words just happen to be in the scriptures. That the perfect Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, went down with his parents. He went against his will, the will to be in the temple about his father's business. He went against his will. He laid that part of his will down. And he went with his parents to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. I believe, brethren and sisters, tonight this is very, very significant. He subjected his will, even though that his will was directed to a good cause. We might say it, to the will of his Father. He subjected that will to his earthly parents. 
And we could follow through the life of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll notice that will. In, in, um, throughout his ministry, the son of the foxes have their holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was wearied. All aspects of, of Christ laying down his will, but we could follow him to the garden. <clears throat> we won't turn here this evening, but sometime you look at Luke chapter 22. And it seems that this was probably the greatest battle that Christ had with his own will, or with his will. Where he prayed, and he agonized, and the sweat came forth as blood, and it dripped down to the ground. You know, he struggled with that. And he said, Father, if you would have another way. You know, he would have been, that would have been his desire. But at last he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Oh God, if it is for, you to, for me to drink this cup, I am willing to do that. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 45, it says there that he rose from prayer. And I like that, brethren and sisters, tonight. I see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ kneeling there on the rock, in the garden on his knees, with his hands folded in, in agony before his almighty Father. And at last he rose from prayer. And that tells me, brethren and sisters, tonight, that he prayed until his will, his will was fully surrendered. And he could go forth in victory. Tonight, brothers and sisters, each of our children has a will. Each of us here has a will. The Bible is clear that it's the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. God does not force us against our will. He only draws us. He woos us. He calls us. He pleads with us. And I believe he even tests our will. After that, we feel that we have surrendered to him. I think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Absolute perfection. And yet, God gave them there a commandment, and he left the choice to them. I believe it's of utmost, utmost necessity that we have a vision of the will of children and also a vision of obedience as it pertains to the will. What does James chapter 2, verse 26 say? It says very clearly there that if we claim to have faith but do not have works or do not obey, it says there that faith is that faith is dead. It's dead. It's cold. It's lifeless. 
Why does that enter into our will? I believe it has so much to do with our will. You know, if you really think of it, brethren and sisters, there is so much of our Christian lives that rests upon the structure of faith and obedience. Faith and works, faith and obedience. Faith cannot be enforced. We cannot enforce faith into our children. But I do believe that obedience should be required. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 22 says that faith is made perfect by obedience. Just think about that a little bit this evening. Faith is made perfect by obedience. Obedience and submission, brethren and sisters, tonight is a powerful asset to our children in the years of accountability and following. We can never, never underestimate the power, the power the, that is made available to our children if they have a proper understanding of submission or of yielding their will to the will of their parents, to the will of their teachers, as they come into the years of accountability. There is a time. Tonight we believe that the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift of God. We cannot produce that faith within our own hearts. God puts it there. And with that small seed of faith, we are able to believe that God exists and that he saves all that come to him. So our, ch our children in the years of accountability, they sense their undoneness. They sense their sinfulness. They realize that outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are doomed to hell. And then there are those precious moments when we hear those steps, those footsteps coming down the stairs in the darkness of night. And we observe those tears of repentance. When they in faith accept the atonement for their souls. That faith continues to work in their hearts. It's their response to that faith that enables them to be obedient to the holy commands of God. Do we see the asset of obedience, beloved, tonight? And you know, this faith and this, this accommodation of faith and works continues on. And I believe tonight that 
We talk of business, cultivating hearts for the sake of, or for hearts of service for business and missions and such like. Tonight, the most powerful tools behind the pulpits, the most powerful tools in our schools, the most powerful tools on the mission fields, brethren and sisters tonight, are those that have learned to surrender their will and obey the commandments of the Holy Father. I don't believe that this topic tonight was intended to promote education as such that produces businessmen and missionaries. But we understand tonight that whether you're a father or a mother, whether you're a teacher or a board member or a minister that stands behind the pulpit, you know, these are all what we call great callings of God. It's not that they're, they lift us up in elevation of, over other men, not at all. But they are callings of God. They are great callings of God. And I don't believe tonight that we dare depend upon our education. And I want to be properly understood. I hope you understand. To produce preachers and missionaries. Yes, I believe it's a vital part. But I believe tonight, brothers and sisters, that the goals of our homes and of our churches and of our schools is to present sons and daughters to the kingdom of God as vessels that are broken and yielded, ready to be used in these great callings that God has for them. I believe from my heart tonight that a good Christian education is something that we owe to our children, and we ought to take it seriously and do the best we can. But let's always remember that it will never, a good Christian education can never accomplish the potential of a yielded will, an obedient heart. You know power in the church. Brother Abner Brubaker was at Fairhaven on Monday evening, and he ministered to us about power in the church. And our hearts were just awestruck at this glorious message from the Gospels, or from the, from the Holy Scriptures, power in the church. Brethren and sisters, tonight there is power in the church. And that power is made available to us is, is um, expressed as we take up the cross, as we deny ourselves, we take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight there is freedom, brethren and sisters, to those who have yielded their wills to the will of the Heavenly Father. You know, there is such a tremendous freedom, such a tremendous liberty in the minds and hearts of our children as they learn to submit and surrender their will. There is such a beautiful freedom in the church as well, as we learn to surrender and to submit. You know, the, the, the scriptures are clear. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and other chapters in the scriptures that God places, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God places the members in the body as it pleases him. Tonight, if you feel that, or you're not sure where you fit into the body, just remember that God has placed you there. And God has placed you exactly where it pleases him. I believe this is very foundational, brethren and sisters, for us to understand these basic concepts of the church. As we are placed into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is there that God gives the gifts. Gifts that are to be used for the further edification of that body and also to the glory of himself. It is to the church tonight, brethren and sisters, that the Holy Ghost is given. And the Holy Ghost empowers and enables the members of that body who have received those gifts. He enables them to be profitable members in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, um, I cringe, brethren and sisters, when I hear of, I'll just use this as an example to help illustrate a point. I cringe when I hear of Anabaptist young people or Anabaptist individuals, whether they're young people or older people, who have an interest in singing and go to classes or go to training for voice training. Brethren and sisters, tonight God gives the gift to the church. He places the individuals in the body as it pleases him. He endues them with gift. And he empowers them with the Holy Ghost that those gifts can be exercised. What are we saying? God isn't doing a good enough a job? The burden tonight is, brethren and sisters, that in our pursuit for high-quality Christian schools. And I love the thought, you know, even the good can be better. I love it. And I think we need to pursue that. But in this pursuit, brethren and sisters, let's not miss the key elements of the kingdom of God. Remember that even Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was subject and obeyed his parents. We won't say much about the character, but I see the character of, of Christ, a beautiful, beautiful character. We see it illustrated in verse 40, and again in verse 52, and notice some of the words, grew, waxed strong, filled with wisdom, the grace of God was upon him, increased in wisdom and stature, was in favor with God and man. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful character descriptions. And I believe this is all a result of his nature and his will being cultivated. And 
probably, yeah, we, Christ was sinless. He probably never needed any restraining. But that is what we, that is the, um, character is simply a result of, of that nature being cultivated. And sometimes it needs to be restrained. Uh, we, know, we know that not everything that's natural about our children is always good. And the will also needs to be restrained. It needs to be corrected. It needs to be directed. It needs to be cultivated. And that helps to develop character in the lives of our children. In the close of this message, there is something beautiful in this chapter that I don't, we don't want to miss. There was a tremendous stimulus, brethren and sisters, in the, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ as a child. There was a tremendous cultivation program going on in his life that is beautiful. And I think we want to just catch it as we close this message. That was the lives of his parents. We see it in verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of God. We see it again in verse 41. And now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Again in 42. They went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Do you get the picture? Beautiful, beautiful, faithful parents. You know, I believe that their zeal to follow the Lord their God and to be faithful to him in all things became a tremendous cultivation in the heart of their son. We understand that Christ is the son of God. But there was still a cultivation going on in this home that we take, we do well to take heed to. You know, tonight uh, we gather here as ministers and board members and teachers and, and what mothers and fathers and whatever, whatever we are. You know, I we can never underestimate the the, the tremendous impact of faithfulness within our God-given roles. You know, I believe that cultivation of faithfulness in, in whatever our role is, the cultivation of that, the stimulus of that in our children is going to take them to distances in their spiritual lives or in their spiritual, their spiritual ambitions, distances that are immeasurable. Tonight, we are interested in cultivating hearts that would be of use in the service of God. And tonight's service is probably another message in itself. Just want to give one example of um, a faithful teacher who is exemplifying and, and promoting service, cultivating service in the hearts of his students, and that's Brother Arnold Good. Our children go to Cornerstone Christian School. We only live a few miles from there. And Brother Arnold Good has a, he has a heart for, for missions. And every year, he has a special mission project for the school children. 
Some years it's a monetary offering. Some years it'll be maybe a sock and mitt project where each of the children, you know, they, it's, it's unlimited. You, you bring as many as you want. And, and we're, we're putting it, we're giving it to CAM or to MIM or, or whatever the case may be, and it's going across the waters, and it'll, it'll keep someone warm. There's been other years where he has uh, used school packets for a school in India, I believe it was. You know, and this generates excitement in the children. It cultivates service. It cultivates interest in, in children in other lands who are not blessed as we are. Only one example of cultivating hearts of service in our children. Tonight, it's my desire that God might add his blessing to the efforts of the Christian school, the efforts of the Christian home, and the efforts of the Christian church. That he could raise up vessels for himself. Vessels that would be useful in upbuilding citizens in this country. And also vessels that would be of glory, of his glory, in, our, in, the, in the church and also in, in our churches. May each one be faithful, continue to follow the Lord. You know, the end result, the efforts of, or the blessings of the efforts of our feeble efforts sometimes are never seen on this side of eternity. But you know, we go on in faithfulness as well. Abraham was called and he went. He didn't understand what God had for him. He didn't understand the end picture, but he went anyways. He was faithful. He was obedient. He followed the Lord in faith. May the Lord add his blessing. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.